As we get ready for the Word, uh, I just want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to finish up this book today as we're looking at Marks of a Mighty Church and uh, concluding this series. And before we start, let's just have a word of prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for your incredible, your love and mercy to us is just so tremendous. Lord, we uh, just pray for your word today that it will speak to our hearts and well that we can apply it to our lives. And Lord, we also just pray for uh, all that's happening in the world today with this coronavirus. And, and we just lift up uh, all the leaders. We just pray for our president and vice president and even on the state level, our governor and all of the ones making decisions for us and even on the county and city. We just pray it to be with them, giving, giving them wise uh, decisions. And Lord, we uh, just pray right now as we come to you that each one of us can uh, encourage one another. But more than anything else, we just uh, lift you up and glorify your name. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the past few weeks, we've been exploring the book of 1 Thessalonians. And it's kind of like I said in the very first uh, of the series that every local church is made up of sinners that are saved by grace. And so there's no such thing as a perfect church. Although I do think that some maybe are a little closer than others. But this morning, we see that all throughout this book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is praising this church for their um, faithful work, for their loving deeds, for their commitment to Christ. And so we would kind of say that the Thessalonian church was a mighty church. And in reading Paul's letter, we've discovered several characteristics that mark out a mighty church. And we've gone through quite a few of them over the first four chapters. And today, uh, like I said, we're going to start with verse 12 of chapter 5. And I'm just going to read to you uh, through verse 22. And then we'll also read verse 28, but I'm going to be reading it out of the New Living Translation. So if you have your uh, Bibles at home or wherever you might be, or Bible app or whatever you're going to do if you want to follow along. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting verse 12. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil. But always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. And then if you look at verse 28, it says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So as we look at this last paragraph of this book of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is packing a lot of stuff into this final paragraph. He's hopping from verb to verb, and he's got, uh, I think, 17 illustrations in 10 verses here. But rather than uh, highlighting them all, I'm going to give you all 12 points. Uh, we're taught to give a three or four point sermon, so today you're getting 12 points. And uh, I want to just touch briefly on the 12 instructions that he gives us. And the first one that we have is respect. If you look at verses 12 and 13, Paul starts out reminding the Thessalonians, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. And he talks about show them 
great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And if we think about the leaders, if we think about the leaders here at uh, Kersey Community Church, we're blessed to have godly spiritual leaders in our elders and deacons and committee leaders and Bible study teachers and, and uh, Awana and staff. And, and I guess I would encourage all of us that we need to pray continually for God's guidance in leading the church and pray for the leaders who are making some of those decisions. It says here in the scripture, they truly deserve our love and respect. And so show your appreciation for them. Maybe tell them or text them and tell them that you enjoy uh, their teaching or leadership. Let them know you support them. Which brings us up to the next instruction. Paul gives us, he tells us to reprimand those who are not living right. The New American Standard Version puts it this way, admonish the unruly. Now the word translated unruly can have a variety of meanings. It can mean idle. It can mean lazy. It can mean decisive. It can mean irresponsible. And it can go on and on with this list. But whatever meaning the Apostle Paul has had in mind here, it's clear that he wanted the Christians in this Thessalonian church to correct each other whenever one of them wasn't living right. Kind of comes down to sometimes we all need a swift kick in the behind. Sometimes or sometimes we lose our focus or our priorities. Uh, sometimes we make bad decisions. Um, Sometimes we just act like jerks. And at those times, we maybe need a brother and sister in Christ to lovingly reprimand us, to remind us who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. And then next, Paul tells us that we're supposed to reassure the people who are discouraged. The NIV puts it this way, encourage the disheartened. Illustration is Jackie Robinson who was the first black uh, person to play Major League Baseball. He was the one that was, broke the color barrier of the sport. And it says whenever he went to a stadium, he would face a lot of jeering from the crowd. Other players would even uh, stomp on his feet and kick him, and they were just mad that he was out there playing. And one day while he was at his home stadium playing, he made an error, whether it was a throwing or fielding error, I'm not sure. But the fans began to ridicule him like crazy. He wasn't sure what to do. He just stood at second base, humiliated. So the fans are booing him and jeering him, and, and some of it was from the air, but most of it was because of his color. But then the shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, came over to Jackie Robinson, stood by him, and then pretty soon he just put his arm right around him. So there he was, Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson, and they just faced the crowd, and they say, that the fans became very quiet. But Jackie Robinson later said, Pee Wee Reese putting his arm around my shoulder saved my career. And so a lot of times when we all get discouraged, we all are going to get disheartened at times. But sometimes we need somebody to just come beside us, put their arm around our shoulder. And I think that's one of the reasons God gave us the church. On a related note, as we continue in our passage here in chapter 5, Paul continues to tell us in verse 14 that mighty churches relieve one another's burdens. It says here, help the weak. And several times throughout the New Testament, believers are told that we're supposed to help those people who are weak. 
Now that can mean we need to help those that are physically weaker. It might be spiritually weaker. It might be financially or whatever it might be. Jesus' mission on earth when He was here was to save souls. But in the process of that, He also helped those who were in need. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He listened. He cared for them. And we're supposed to be in His image. We're supposed to follow in His footsteps. So a lot of times we need to relieve one another's burdens, help each other out, especially those who cannot help themselves. And while we're at it, number five on our list, Paul tells us to relax. He says, be patient with everyone. Verse 14. Now church families, like natural families, probably have their share of conflict. People may rub you the wrong way, or they might even get on your nerves. It's kind of like the man who was walking through the supermarket, and he had his little baby in the shopping cart with him, and the little baby is just screaming like crazy. Well, as the baby's screaming and the man's trying to shop, there was a woman nearby noticed that the man was very quiet and calm, and he was saying to himself, Calm down, Ethan. Keep calm, Ethan. And she's admiring his patience in this process. So this baby's still wailing. man keeps saying, keep calm, Ethan. And the lady finally comes up to him and says, Sir, I've got to commend you with your patience with baby Ethan. To which the father replied, Actually, the baby's name is Logan. My name's Ethan. Now the Greek word used for patience is a very descriptive one. It figuratively means to take a long time to boil. So if you think about a boiling pot of water, the water boils quickly when the flame is high. But if the flame is low, it's going to be a slower boil. Patience keeps the burner low. Now hopefully that's a helpful clarification. But patience does not mean that we're naive. It doesn't mean that we got to ignore misbehavior. It just means that we keep the flame low. We have a little patience. We keep it to a slow boil. And so the next time someone tries to try your patience, relax, keep the burner on low. Which leads right into number six of Paul's next instruction. He says, don't repay evil for evil. He writes in verse 15, he says, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. The desire to get even seems to be part of our human nature. It's like the story of the mother who heard her seven-year-old screaming in the next room. She runs into the room to see what's going on, and she realizes the one-year-old daughter is pulling her seven-year-old son's hair. And the mother gets the baby's hand unclenched, and she says, I'm sorry, honey. Your sister doesn't know what it feels like to have her hair pulled. So she gets them all separated. She goes back to what she's doing, and when she goes back to the kitchen, all of a sudden she hears the one-year-old screaming. So she runs back in the room and says, what happened? And the seven-year-old answered, well, she knows what it feels like now to have her hair pulled. 
And so as Christians, we can't give in to the desire to get even. Because the problem with an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, the problem with that is everyone ends up either blind or toothless. And so rather we need to repay evil with good. Be kind even when other people are not being kind to you. And so when we do all of those things at that point, if we can not repay, Paul's next instruction becomes a lot more easy. He says, rejoice. Rejoice always, he says in verse 16. And I think God wants us to be happy people. Joy is meant to be the hallmark, a hallmark of the Christian life. Joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God. The problem is a lot of times we let our circumstances dictate our happiness. Statistically, they say that an average adult laughs 15 times a day, while an average four-year-old laughs over 400 times a day. So what that tells me is that when God makes us, He makes us happy. The hearts of little children are filled with joy, but it seems like as we get older, we let the worries and the concerns of, of this life choke the joy out of us. Maybe the bills are piling up. Kids are acting crazy. We're probably getting a lot more of that with the coronavirus quarantine now. Or the car breaks down. Uh, sometimes all these circumstances come up and it's really hard to feel joyful. But Paul tells us, if we're going to rejoice always, we've got to look beyond our circumstances. True joy comes from an ever-growing awareness of God's presence and experiencing His love and grace even in the midst of the struggles and stress that we might be facing. Now, one of the ways that we continue to rejoice is to, number eight on our points, regularly reconnect with God. In verses 17 and 18, Paul instructs us to pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So what he's telling us is, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Because prayer, at its very heart, is us deepening our relationship with God. The God who created us. And when we can do this, that's why Paul tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. Because the more that we pray and we're in communion with God, we realize the joy that we have, the inner joy that the world can't take away. Which brings us to the next instruction, number nine. But you're happy I'm going through them fast because we could spend a lot of time on these. But it's repress. Do not repress the Holy Spirit. And like I said, I have to do the letter R with all of these to make it uh, kind of clever at this point. But he says in verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. It's like there's a God-shaped hole in our lives. And when we pray, God fills that vacuum up with His Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, we can sometimes become guilty or quenching or repressing the Holy Spirit's influence in our lives. But when, we, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, he helps us understand spiritual truths. He empowers us with special gifts and talents and abilities. 
He helps produce in us the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the list goes on and on. But when we ignore the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us, or we fail to use the gifts or talents that God has given us, we repress the Holy Spirit. We repress God and prevent Him from doing a work in our lives. So instead of repressing, we need to release His Spirit. We need to be sensitive to God's prompting and so that God is free to work within us. Next, which is number 10, we're getting there slowly, Paul offers a warning against ridiculing God's Word. He says in verse 20, Do not scoff at prophecies. And if we think about believers in Paul's day, they didn't have Bibles like we have today all in one volume. Much of the New Testament hadn't even been written at this point. And, in fact, our Bible wouldn't be collected into a single volume for about 300 years after this. So instead, they had prophets whom God spoke through, revealing His Word in bits rather than books. So by telling the Thessalonians to not ridicule the prophecies, he's basically telling this Thessalonian church, you have to take the Word of God seriously. You see, whenever we read the Bible, or we listen to a teaching, or whatever we might be doing that way, a sermon that comes from God's Word we're spoken to right from God. But if we really listen to what the person is saying or what we're reading out of Scripture, we really need to take it to heart. If we will allow it to, it will transform our lives. And going along with that, Paul then tells us, when you hear the Word and you're not repressing it, and you're not ridiculing it, he says what you've got to do is review it. In verse 21, he says, test everything that is said, hold on to what is good. In other words, what Paul is saying is you've got to be discerning. Don't accept, accept something as truth just because the person who said it stands behind a pulpit or is on TV or has their picture on a book cover. We're supposed to teach or check out teachings against what the Bible says. So, If what a person says does not line up with Scripture, then just toss it out. It's not from God. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not good. And then, Paul, lastly, as we get to number 12, he cautions the Thessalonians to reject evil in every form. He writes in verse 22, he says, Reject every kind of evil. And the word translated reject here means Shrink from and keep aloof from. In other words, he's saying we shouldn't be hanging around a lot of evil influences in our lives. Now, many, many, many years ago, early 1900s, if you go back to that, and you go over to England, and they had a lot of boys that would deliver things on their bicycles. And they were told that a lot of times when these delivery boys would be delivering on their bicycles, they would whistle, whistle different tunes. And after a while, as these boys were whistling, they realized the whistling was out of tune. It was just a little bit off pitch, and they couldn't figure out why these boys were all whistling the same tune, but it was wrong. And then they realized 
that there were some bells at the Westminster Chapel, and they realized that one of the bells was just a little bit off tune, and those boys had unconsciously been hearing these bells and were doing the same pitch. So in the same way, we tend to copy the people with whom we associate our worldview. If our worldview is constantly shaped by the books that we read and the music we listen to and the shows that we watch on TV, and before we know it, that's what's influencing our lives. But if we want to joyfully keep walking with the Lord, we need to be careful about the company we keep. We need to be careful about the influence that we allow into our lives. So there we got it. We got 12 instructions that that comprise Paul's final words in this first book of Thessalonians. The advice that he gave to this church and encouragement that I think we at Kersey Community Church need to take hold of as well. Marks of a mighty church. Hope you got them all. If you didn't, you can replay it. That's what you want to do. Now, Kersey Community Church might not ever be a perfect church this side of eternity, but I think we can be a mighty church because I think we're capable of doing that, especially if we will practice these things that Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you today that first of all, if you don't know Christ, that's the key to this whole thing. If you don't know Jesus, ask Him into your heart, ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to come in. But here at Kersey Community Church, we're looking for mighty members, mighty people, people of God, that will continue to help us become a mighty church. And if you have any questions or you have some decisions that you want to make, or maybe you're going through a hard time right now, I would encourage you to call me or call Pastor Scott. We'll help you out, pray for you. But more than anything else, let's allow God to do a work in each one of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this uh, book of Thessalonians that we've gone through over the last five weeks. And Lord, I just pray that we can put these principles to work not only in our individual lives, but also in our church as a congregation. And Lord, I just thank you for all the ones that are listening and watching today. And we just pray that you'll bless them. And Lord, whatever their needs are, we just pray that uh, we just lift them up to you as well. And Lord, we just rejoice knowing that you're in control of all the things that are going on today in the world. And Lord, I just pray that you'll strengthen each one of us. And again, we thank you for your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.